0: Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on February 10th, 2013. Today's message is titled, Everyday Courage, What is Your Bread? By Pastor Ryan Cochran, and is based on scripture, John chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Do you join me in prayer? Our God in heaven, we are here to hear from you and from your word. Lord, open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. Would I pray that your spirit would speak? In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord be with you. Over the last four weeks, we've been walking through a sermon series entitled Everyday Courage. And over these weeks, we have been looking at stories of men and women in the Bible who, with great courage, expressed their faith in God. The scriptures are filled with stories about people like this, who walked with God and who walked in courage. All these biblical heroes were flawed. All of them made mistakes. None of them were perfect. We saw this maybe especially last week in the story of Hezekiah, a man who... uh, displayed great strength and courage at times, and at other times just kind of backed off and hesitated and uh, was not quite as courageous as he may uh, like to have been. But in spite of their flaws, in spite of their weaknesses, they did, at times in their life at least, walk in courage. They took great risks for God. And in their stories over and over again, we see that when they take a risk for God, that God shows up in their life. The hero of all of these stories that we've looked at is God. It is God who worked in the lives of these men and women to do things for them, or for the people around them, that they could not do on their own. No one could have orchestrated the life of Ruth except for God. Ruth's act of self-sacrifice for Naomi seemed to put them in a completely hopeless situation. But over the course of that story, we see how because of her sacrifice, because of her risk for her mother-in-law, Naomi, that God blesses her, brings about good for her and for the whole nation of Israel as her child gives birth to Jesse, who was the father of King David, the great king of Israel. In the story of Daniel and his friends, we saw that early on in their time in Babylon, they learned that when they took a risk for God, that things happened in their life that only God could do. And Hezekiah, what a story that we heard last week. The entire world that we know of as the Middle East today, the entire world of the Middle East was completely conquered by the Assyrians, except for this small little place called Judah, right in the middle of it. God used Hezekiah's courage, sent a plague through the Assyrian army, and protected Judah. As Christians, it's stories like these, stories that we've been listening to over the last few weeks, that we want our children to hear. They're stories we want our kids to hear. We want them to grow up to be men and women of courage, men and women who walk with God and who are willing to take risks for God for his sake. But as I said a few weeks ago when we began this series, it seems to me that as we grow up, as we get older, we talk less and less about courage and risk. The older that we get, it seems that we talk less about taking risks for God. Somewhere along the way, very slowly, maybe very quietly in our life, the Christian life starts to become more about being safe and secure maybe about being a good citizen, maybe about attaining to some kind of vision of a middle-class lifestyle. And we stop talking about courage. We stop talking about risk. And the question that I've been wanting us to wrestle with over the last few weeks is this. At what point did we stop believing that these stories of courage and risk are stories for us and about us? At what point did we stop believing that these stories are about our life with God and how we are called to be courageous in our life? When did these stories simply become children's stories, stories for our kids to hear? These stories are for us. They're stories about us and our life with God. And This morning we're going to look at one more story. It is the story of the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the boy who gave up his lunch so that it could happen. In the story, uh, Jesus' Jesus's popularity at this time in his ministry was, was growing and now thousands of people hear that he's around and they go out to the countryside to find him in order to hear him teach and to heal. And as the day goes on, the people start getting hungry, and Jesus poses this question to his disciples. He turns to his disciples, especially Philip, and says, where are we going to go buy food for all of these people? If you ask me, this is an interesting question in and of itself. In just a moment, we're going to see that the two of Jesus' disciples, Philip and Andrew, they try to at least consider a solution to this problem of how to feed all of these people. We're going to see that neither of their solutions were adequate. Both of them uh, end up being hopeless that they could solve the problem. But I think that if I had been one of Jesus' disciples that day and heard Jesus ask the question, where are we going to find food, bread, for all of these people, I think I would have thought to myself, When did it become our problem to feed 5,000 people? Why are you even asking this question? But in some ways, I believe that this is really at the heart of this story. Sometimes Jesus asks us a question. He poses us with a problem, with a situation, with a person or circumstance that he brings into our life And he asks us, as that person or circumstances in front of us, how are you going to respond? Through the circumstances in our lives, through the people that God brings to us, he gives us these opportunities to serve, to care, to love, to use whatever gift we have to care for others. And he asks us, how will you respond? And this is what happens in this story. Thousands of people have come to hear Jesus teach, the day is getting long, the people are getting hungry, and he turns to his disciples and he says, where are we going to buy bread for all of these people? I think this is a question that they would not even have considered on their own. I suspect that at least ten of these disciples, were, or at least maybe a few of them, were very much like me. They were wondering, why is this even our problem at all? But two of the disciples, Philip and Andrew, at least engage in a conversation with Jesus about this problem. And I think that Philip and Andrew's responses are both responses that are very common to the responses that you and I tend to give when we are posed with a challenge or an opportunity that comes in front of us. Philip and Andrew's examples of the solutions that they come up with, are wrong ways, or at least dead ends, for how we respond to the challenges that Christ put before us. Both Philip and Andrew think through some possible solutions. We see in this story that Andrew even takes some action. And while it is good that they at least talk to Jesus about the possibility of a solution, we find that both of their solutions are inadequate for the problem. And both of them end up shrugging their shoulders and feeling hopeless. Let's take a look at their responses. Jesus turns specifically to Philip and asks him, "Where shall we buy bread for all these people?" Philip's response is, I think, a response of just awe and wonder at why Jesus would ask this question. Jesus, you're concerned about where we are going to buy bread, but. Uh, Even if Brecca Bakery had enough bread to feed 5,000 people, we don't have enough money to buy bread for 5,000 people. It would take over a half a year's wages just for people to have a single bite. Philip hears this question that Jesus poses to him, and he does all of the financial calculations in his head. And he determines that there simply isn't enough money to solve the problem that Jesus poses to them. I'm sorry, Jesus, you know it's really great that you want to feed all of these people, but there's just not enough money. And all of us, I think, respond in our lives like Philip. We are very good financial rationalizers. We can do financial calculations in our head pretty quickly and know when things aren't going to add up. And this is what Philip does. He does the math and he shrugs his shoulders and he says to Jesus, sorry, there's not enough. There's not enough. Andrew's response is a little bit different. And I think that his response is even slightly more admirable than Philip's, but still is insufficient. He hears the question, where are we going to buy bread for all of these people? And instead of just doing the financial calculations in his head, Andrew turns to the people, to the crowd themselves, and begins to look among the crowds. He sees we have human resources here. I wonder if we can find a solution to the problem here among us, among the crowds. And as Andrew looks through the crowd, he finds a boy who has some bread and some fish. And he takes the boy's hand and he brings the boy and the food to Jesus and he says, Jesus, look, I've looked through the crowds here a little bit and this is all I've found. One little boy who was smart enough to bring a lunch. He must have had a good mother. And here it is. Here is his lunch. But it's just the lunch for a little boy. It's not going to feed 5,000 people. I want to suggest that if Andrew were living today, perhaps he would have been in charge of the HR department, the human resources department. He goes out and he looks to see what human resources they have that can solve this problem. He begins to look among the people to see what they have, and I think Andrew at least begins with a little bit of hope. Maybe we can find something here. He doesn't see their shortage of money as the only solution. Instead, he sees people as the key to the solution. But when he looks among the people, he also ends with a hopeless conclusion. The people that they have and what the people have isn't enough. It's not enough, Jesus. The people have not brought enough to us. These two men, just like us, I think, When Jesus posed them with an opportunity for ministry service, their eyes went only to solutions for things that they could manage and control. Their attention only went to solutions that they, by their own strength alone, could find a solution to. But this question, this problem, this opportunity to feed 5,000 people, this could only happen supernaturally. It could only happen with a miracle. It could only happen if God was going to do something. So, how does Jesus respond to this problem? Jesus solves the problem through the courage of a boy who was willing to give up his lunch, who was willing to offer his five loaves of bread and his two fish, who was willing to offer what little he had to Jesus. And Jesus takes this very little thing that he has and Jesus uses it to do a miracle. He takes the five loaves of bread and the two fish and he lifts them up and he gives thanks to the Heavenly Father. And then he begins to pass it out. And 5,000 people eat from this five barley loaves and this, these two fish. All 5,000 people that day were fed in a way That only God could have done. But I want you to notice something very important about this story, about this miracle. Jesus does not simply snap his fingers and have bread and fish appear. Jesus does not create the bread and the fish out of nothing, which he certainly could have done. He did it at the beginning of time. He could have done it then. Jesus instead uses what has been offered. Jesus uses what is offered, and this is, I think, the key to this story for us today. Jesus takes what is offered, and he does more with it than what could have been done simply from human effort or human generosity. Jesus does a miracle, no doubt about it, but the gift, the resource, still had to be offered to him. It had to be placed in Jesus' hands for him to use it. I suspect that day that this boy wasn't the only one with some food. I suspect that there may have been a few hundred others who may have brought something to eat. But that food wasn't offered to Jesus. This lunch was. This boy gave what he had, and Jesus used it to feed 5,000 people. Jesus sometimes poses us with a question, with a problem, with a challenge, with an opportunity to do some good work for his sake and for the sake of others. In our response, the problems that we face are often, I think, like Philip and Andrew's. Our solution to the problem are often practical and reasonable. We look at the challenges and the resources that we have, and we shrug our shoulders. There's just not enough. We see that the resources that we have don't add up. They're simply not enough to solve the problem, and so we shrug our shoulders and we get disappointed and we lose hope. We see a visible problem before us, and we're only able to see a human solution to that problem. Listen, Philip and Andrew ask some good and reasonable questions, and they come to some good, sound conclusions. Money and human resources are limited. Andrew and Philip know that. They are not limitless. They are limited. Philip and Andrew's problem is not the questions that they asked or even where they looked. The problem is that they stopped. Their problem is that they did not look past what they could see and touch. They did not look past what they could manage and control. They did not look past the resource to the one who created the resources to begin with. That was really good, so I'm going to say it again. (laughs) They did not look past the resource itself, to the one who created the resource to begin with. Philip and Andrew, you and I, too often only look to the resource and not to the one who creates the resource to begin with. The bread and fish were created by Jesus and through Jesus when the world began. He is willing and able to do his creative work for those who are willing to offer our resources to him, our gifts to him, to put those things in his hand and let him do a good work with it. In the feeding of the 5,000, we learn that the challenges that we face— whether it be the challenges in our own individual lives or the challenges that we face as a church. These challenges are real. They are real. Not only are they real, but they do require action from us. They require us to give what we have to Jesus, to use what we have for him. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Maybe there were a few hundred, maybe even a few thousand people who brought some food that day, but they didn't offer it to Christ. This boy did. And so he, in a small but real way, gave up his life. And when he did, he got to be a part of something far better than just enjoying his lunch. He was able to be a partner with Christ in feeding 5,000 people. People. In the face of our challenges, we are invited to place our gifts, our time, our money, our resources into his hand. And when we are courageous enough to do that, even perhaps what we perceive to be small, little things, our creative God, the one who created all things by the power of his word, can and will do A good work in and through us. Friends, together as a church, we're walking through a time where we are asking God to lead us. We are seeking his vision and his direction for our congregation, and we know that our congregation now has problems that we face. We have some problems that we will no doubt face in the future. For example, we realize that we have a generation of faithful people in our congregation who are growing older, and we're saying goodbye to many of them. With the increasing loss of this generation, there are so many things that we lose. We lose some of the experience that we see in them that comes from walking with God for decades and decades. We lose the visible examples among us of people who have been faithful for so many years, we also lose the financial contributions that these faithful people give. And with this problem in front of us, it's tempting to be like Philip and to be hopeless, perhaps maybe to do some mental math about how many people might be here in a few years and how many financial contributions they will make, and to despair and to be hopeless about our future, like Philip was hopeless in this story. We also look around us and perhaps we maybe start doing some counting and we think maybe there's really not that many people here. And maybe the people that we have here really don't have the things that we need in order for our church to grow and to thrive. We can be like Andrew and look among ourselves and wish that there were somebody else here or some other people here to do this or to do that. We're tempted to look around us and say, there just isn't enough. But the Word of God comes to us today in this story, and it asks us two questions. First, it asks us, what is your bread? What is the gift that you have? What is the resource that you bring? And are you courageous enough to come and to offer it to God? There are some of you who perhaps do not believe that you have much to offer, you don't believe that you're talented. You, don't, you think that maybe you're too old or that you're too young. You think that your experience isn't enough. You think perhaps that your English is not good enough. You think that you do not have time. You think that fill in the blank in whatever way, whatever excuse you might make to not offer what you have to Christ. All of us, all of us have our insecurities about what little we might have to offer. All of us have those insecurities about what might happen if I offered this thing, I took a risk with it, and I lost it, or I made a fool of myself, or I stepped out and somebody didn't like what I did. All of us have our insecurities about how little we think we have to offer, all of us. That is not Jesus' concern. Jesus' concern is not how little we have to offer or how we may feel about that. He is concerned about how willing we are to give whatever it is that we have. So I ask you, this this text asks us today, what is your bread? What is your gift to give? The second question that this text asks us, this story asks us is, Are you willing to offer that to Jesus? Jesus says, whoever, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It is not how much we have that Christ is concerned about. It's how willing we are to lose it for his sake. When we offer what we have to Christ, he can feed the 5,000. Throughout this sermon series, I've returned to the prayer of Paul in the book of Ephesians. And the reason we've returned to that is because of the way that Paul closes that prayer. He closes the prayer with these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or all we imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Our prayers, our work, our gifts are offered to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we could even ask or imagine. That's what Philip and Andrew and this boy learned in our story today. But I also want us to remember how Paul begins this prayer. He begins this prayer by reminding us that he is on needs for this reason I kneel kneeling this posture that says to God that we know that we are nothing without him kneeling this humble posture that says to God I can do nothing without you in this humble kneeling posture that says we are going nowhere without you The willingness to offer to God what we have begins with us getting on our knees in prayer as a way to admit that our own rationalizing, our own practical solutions, our own management will not accomplish all that God wants to accomplish through us. And so we kneel. As we are on our knees, we offer our bread. We give it to him. And God will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess to you that we are way too often, like Philip and Andrew, And perhaps like the other ten disciples who heard your question and thought that perhaps you were out of your mind to think that we could feed 5,000 people. Lord, I thank you for showing them and for showing us that when we are able, that when we are willing to give what little we have, Lord, that you are able to do amazing things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us this lesson. And Lord, for all of us today who have all kinds of insecurities about what little we think we have, God, I pray you would overcome them by the power of your Spirit, that you would fill us with that Spirit. And Lord, help us to see how the gifts that you have given to us can be used for your glory and for your sake. Lord, and I pray for us as a congregation Lord, that we would begin to see and imagine what you have for us. God, that we would not be like Philip and Andrew and think of all of the excuses for why something can't happen. And Lord, instead, it would offer what you have, and that as we, do, we have and as we do that, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever even imagine. Lord, we ask these things in hope and in faith and in courage. Amen.